already been asked, Chris, you're preaching today. You have no props. Patience, grasshopper, patience. I have on a jacket. You know, that should have been the first sign. So Chris is wearing a jacket. It's not a funeral. He must be preaching. That's the way it goes. So, so Pastor Jim asked me to preach on uh, my calling a couple of weeks, several weeks ago. And so I was like, sure, I can do that. No problem. I guess I got a calling because then I started thinking, what is a calling? And then I got worried. Wait a minute. What is my calling? Am I doing, you know, what God wants me to do? Do I even know what my calling is? And so I went looking to say, listen, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So let's go look up what the definition of calling actually is. So Webster says the definition is a strong urge towards a particular way of life, career, or or vocation. Not vacation. Vocation. It uses the example of those things, uh, calling to a ministry or to others' needs. If you look at a little deeper definition, it says the internal summons that encompasses temporal activities and transcends temporal activities. So Webster's calls, Webster, no one else, Webster, calls a general calling as a way of using our gifts and talents to help do godly work. You are summoned by God to do godly work. That's a calling. That's the general definition of calling. So we all know then that We've all heard Mark sixteen fifteen say that <clears throat> go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. That's what we think of when we think of a general definition of calling. Go into the world, preach to all creation. And I remember when I was little thinking, all creation, I'm supposed to preach to my dog? Well, he's going to hell anyway because he keeps jumping the fence. But, <laughs> you know, I've learned that no, that's not what that means. You know, so, but we think of a calling as, you know, go into the world, preach the gospel. Simple, straightforward, right? Hebrews 3.11. Hebrews 3.11 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confessions. You know what that means? That means fix your thoughts on Jesus. That's what that means. Micah 6.8 says to act justly, love mercifully, and walk humbly with your God. That's what that says. Ephesians 1 through 4 says, <clears throat> let's see if Larry pulled that one up for me. Or do I have to try to quote it? Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. Philippians 2, 3, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interest of others. And this seems different than what Mark said, go out into the world and preach. But this said, this is your calling every time. Walk humbly, walk mercifully with others, think of others as your, before yourself, and think of God through all things. That doesn't sound like a calling, but that's your calling. That is your first calling is to focus on others and not yourselves. Don't believe me? 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy says, we'll get there. This has now been made evident 
through the appearance of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He saved us to be holy. That's our calling. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord has assigned him, when God called him. This is what I command all the churches to do. So the first thing we are supposed to do in every situation is to act godly, not, you know, and be godly. Those are things we're supposed to do. We always think walk, go, that's our calling. No, your calling is to be godly. That's your first calling. Because a lot of times when we uh, find ourselves in situations, it's not necessarily what we do or what we say. It's how we act. That's what people see more than anything else. They see how we act in a situation. And if we act godly, if we walk humbly, if we think of others before we think of ourselves, then we're doing what God has asked us to do. And so we stay there and we do what God has asked us to do. That's our calling is to be like God. You know, if we want to be like God, we have to have the mindset of God. If we don't have God's mindset, then we can't be like God. We can't do the things God has asked us to do because we can't even imagine or fathom doing them unless we have God's mindset. So we have to remember always, when it, if it comes to our calling, it's not always the doing. A lot of the times, it's the being. We have to be like God, not necessarily do like God. So, But I'm Gresper and Jonah here. And Jonah is about the doing. And then when we think of calling, let's, you know, we all think of the doing. So let's, let's go back there and we'll do the doing. So <clears throat> Jonah, if we look at... One four. What was he doing? Uh, he was running from God. Jonah was being disobedient. That's what he was doing. And so, you know, he was getting away from God, saying, I ain't going to preach to those people in Nineveh. I don't like them anyway. So I'm out. So instead of doing what God asked him, he ran and he was disobedient. Romans 6.23. <clears throat> For the wages of sin is death. Real simple. Jonah's sinning. And when we are disobedient to our calling... What's waiting for us? For Jonah, it was a fish. And is there a fish in your life? Yeah, there may be. So now we think of the fish in Jonah. We think of the fish as punishment. You know, Jonah's running from God. God creates a big storm. People grab Jonah. See ya. Throw him right overboard. <clears throat> and the fish comes along, snatches him up, swallows him, and off he goes. What was happening right before Jonah got swallowed by the fish? So if we look at Jonah 1.4, it says, The Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and such a great storm arose that the sea <clears throat> in the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. Jonah is in that water that's a great torment. What happens to him if the fish doesn't come? He dies. So the fish saved Jonah. The fish didn't, wasn't punishment for Jonah. The fish was God taking Jonah in his disobedience and showing him grace and mercy and saving him because he's going to die in that torment if God doesn't save him. So when Jonah's thrown overboard and the fish comes to save him, God goes, Jonah, I told you I need you to go, but you're not going, but I'm going to give you another chance and I'm going to Take this fish, and I'm going to show you grace and mercy, and you're going to learn from this. So who, has had, who amongst us has had a fish in our lives and thought, you know, woe is me. You know, God is punishing me. God is doing this for me. Do we ever think God is saving me? 
God is saving me from whatever it was I might be, have been doing, whatever situation might have been coming, whatever, you know, whatever. God is, saving, God is saving me. That's a mindset that you have to have when you have a godly mindset. It's not going right. Remember who God is. God is not just full of love. God is the definition of love. And if you are a godly person and God has you somewhere that you're not comfortable, God has put you there for a reason. And he's put you there to save you and prepare you for whatever, you know, the situation, future situation may be for you. So when we are in the fish, we have to remember, God is saving me. You know, and if we, as we look back on our lives, you can see those fish situations. You go, man, that was a bad situation, but look what happened to me afterwards. That was a good thing, man. You know, you know, I, that was a job, you know, was terrible. But I learned a lot at that job, and look at me now, you know, or you know, whatever it may be. You know, that person I had to deal with, you know, they taught me this. I don't ever want to deal with them again, but still, you know, I learned something <laughs> from dealing because. Jonah, you know, if anybody asked Jonah, Jonah, you want to go back in the fish? Jonah would be like, you know, I learned a lot in that fish, but I'm not going back. You know, I, I, I made a mistake. I'm not going to do that. So we have to remember that, you know, our calling is not always the doing. It's the being. And it's the being obedient is the, the important part about it. Jonah was running. Jonah wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, because he, and he wasn't being obedient. And since he wasn't being obedient, God had to correct him. And in the correcting him, he got swallowed by a fish. <clears throat> so, a lot of times when, we comes to, when it comes to our calling, we have to remember also that our calling is not necessarily what God is wanting us to do. You know, um, it's not your calling. It's God's calling. We have to remember that. And, and this is where Jonah was. Jonah was like, I'll preach to all kinds of people. Great, go preach to the Ninevites. Nah, I ain't doing that. And God said, remember, it's what I want you to do, not what you want to do. And Jonah said, well, I'm going. I'm leaving. I'm going to Tarsus. And you're like, really? Got you. You're going to Nineveh. Swallowed by a fish. And, and that's where we get lost when it comes to our calling because we think it's something that we are supposed to be doing and it's something that's going to glorify us, and, it's, and that's our calling. Like, my calling should be I have a Lamborghini. And me and God don't see eye to eye on that Lamborghini. And I've been talking to him about that Lamborghini, and he refuses to give me that Lamborghini, but that's not my calling. That's my calling, not God's calling. Maybe one day when me and God see eye to eye about having a Lamborghini, you know, then I, you know, it'll be a good day. But until then, (laughs) I drive a Durango. So, but, so this is our calling. We have to be obedient to what he tells us to do. That's first when it comes to your calling. It's not what you want. It's what God wants. And there's only one way to get to the, what, doing what you want and what God wants. Once you realize that it's not my will but thy will, you know, what he wants us to do and what he's asking us to do, not necessarily what I want to do, then we can use our gifts and talents because God has given us all gifts and talents. He's given us these talents, and he wants us to use them. But he wants us to use them for his glory, not our own glory. And so if he gives us gifts and talents to use, we should use them. You know, we don't, you know, tuck them away. Use the, the gifts that God has given you to glorify God. 
then when we get in a situation, don't be afraid. You know, fear uh, is a great thing. When you're afraid, that's when God shows up. If you're doing God's work, you're afraid, that's a good thing because God's like, watch me do what you're supposed to, I'm going to do. I'm going to show you. As long as you're where you're supposed to be, I'm afraid. I mean, think of the Israelites. They're standing at the Red Sea. Every one of them is terrified. Moses strikes staff. Red Sea opens up. And they all walk through on dry land. But they're all terrified right before God shows up. God shows up when you're afraid. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing for him. So when you're afraid, God's getting ready to show up. That's a good thing to be. Use that fear. You know, so, uh, you know, we can't let um, past experiences affect your future expectation. I heard that from somebody. I'm not going to say who. But, you know, you know, we have we can't let things that have happened to us in the past affect us what happens to us in the future. I mean, that that's scientific. You know, if you have a situation and you have A, B, and the result is C, you have another situation and, you know, the, the situation is D and F, it's not going to equal C unless there's a catalyst that makes it equal C. And most of the time, the catalyst is you. And it's because you're taking what happened to you in the past or what happened to you in this situation and you're applying it to this current situation. And it's not going to turn out that way unless you make it happen that way. And so a lot of times the bad situations that we have is because we've taken what has happened to us to in the past, applied it to this current or future expectation, and guess what? It happens just like we thought it would. Aren't we smart? <laughs> and it's your fault that it happened that way. So when we, you know, when we're afraid, that's a good thing because that's when God shows up. Then we have to get that mindset that God has. Get that mindset. I mean, you can't do, once again, what God wants you to do if you don't have the mindset that God has. You know, you know act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. How do you do that without having God and knowing you know, God? How can you, you know, the Bible says, you know, you don't um, fight with people, but you fight with powers and principalities. So if that guy in front of you or a person in front of you is upsetting you. A mindset of God says it's not him, but whatever is going on with him. And if you can have that mindset that it's not the person here that's upsetting me, but the situation that he's in that's upsetting me, maybe I can help him instead of using, you know, instead of pushing him away or things like that. That's a mind, that's a God mindset. That's a hard mindset. But that's the mindset God is have is calling you to have. You know, a, a godly mindset is not looking at people for what they do, but who they are. And all of them are made in the image of God. And if I can look at people that you, sir, are made in the image of God, and God loves you so much that, you know, he died for you, who am I to hate you? I can't hate you. You're a child of God. Whether you know it or like it or not, you are. And whatever you're going through is my job to help you. That's the mindset of God. It's a difficult mindset to have, but that's what we do. And the only way to get that mindset, stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. If you stay in the Word, you know, we're reading the Bible, and you can read the Bible, and you think, I'm going to come back to that passion thing, Larry, so stay there. So, there. so you know, when you stay in the Word, the Word uh, helps build you. It helps strengthen you. It helps you get that mindset that you have for God. You know, the Bible says, Isaiah 55, 11, my word does not go out of my mouth <clears throat> empty. It will not turn to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve for it to accomplish. God's word does not go out in vain. 
if God said reading the Bible will strengthen you, it will strengthen you. If God's word said uh, whatever it says, it will not come back empty. It will always do what God has said you do. So staying in the word may not be doing at that point in time, but it's preparing you for what God will have you to do. There's a verse that we used to say at my church a long time ago. It's Romans. And I don't remember what it is, but I remember it. You know, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall powers, principalities, or uh, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And I can remember it. I'm not going to quote it all. I have to think, and I'm old, so thinking now hurts. And so, you know, <clears throat> but it, it is a mantra that I live by. You know, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I remember that because we said it every Sunday for 10 years. And it's what I live by. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're going to go back to that passion thing. So when we do and we get into a mindset of what God wants us to do, it means we're doing something we like. And when you're doing something you like, it builds passion. And building passion makes whatever you're doing fun. So I mean, who's Cardinal fans in here? You know, everybody's going to say, look, Cardinal fans. I'm a casual Cardinal fan. I, I think I know four players on the Cardinals right now. I mean, there's Pujols, there's Molina, there's Wainwright, uh, there's Gold, Goldberg. That's his name, yeah. So that's all I know. I know four. I don't even know who the manager is. I'm a terrible fan. You know, but I'm a casual fan, though, so. But there are people who are diehard fans, know every Cardinal f- the last 30 years. You know, they can tell you, you know, what their score was. I have a friend that literally can tell you every football player, what college they came from, f- literally the past 30 years. Oh, yeah, so-and-so went to this, this, and that, and that. You know, can you imagine having that passion for God? Can you imagine, you know, you walk in, you get faces painted, Jesus on, the, on your forehead, things like this, <laughs> you know. You know, when, when God asked stuff, you're like, whoa, did you see these people get baptized? Can you imagine having that passion for God? And if, you know, those people that have that passion for God, imagine what they can do. Because you have Cardinal fans, you know, put flags on their car. Everybody knows they're a Cardinal fan. There's no questioning these people are Cardinal fans. T-shirts, you know, they're at every game. And I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. I'm not. But could you imagine having that passion for God and what you could accomplish in his name? Because cardinals have no power. God? Full of power. There's nothing, literally nothing he can't do that he wants to do. And if that's the person you have a passion about, and he actually knows you. I'm pretty sure Melina don't know me. You know, so so Melina's not going to do anything for me. You know, I knock on Melina's door. Hey, Mr. Melina. He's like, call the police. That's what's going to happen if, you know, I come to his door. So, you know, but, you know, if you have a passion for God, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And then, like I said, we did stay in the Word. And we have to remember what we, uh, what our purpose is and what our calling is. Start off with no props because I'm a prop today. Yeah, it's a poor prop, I know, but it's me. So um, I've, I have a really good, unique story, I think. Um, I've told a couple people. I don't think I've ever told anybody my whole little story about um, things that have happened that I know God has put his hand on. 
And so I'm going to tell everybody here today. I know I've told people parts, and some people here are like, oh, yeah, I remember him telling me that. So, <clears throat> But this is how we'll start. We'll start my story when I was 22 years old. And I think I'd just broken up with my girlfriend. That's what happened at the point in time. And I'm driving down 70. It's just a little long, but it's not too long, so just stay with me. I'm driving down 70, and I've turned the radio down pretty low. Not all the way down, just low. And I'm praying aloud to God. You know, I'm like, God, why me? Why this? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. And as I'm praying aloud, I'm speaking aloud, a voice in the passenger seat. And there's nobody in the passenger seat. It's just me in this car. There's a voice like it comes from the passenger seat. It says, it's not your time yet. And I actually look over at the passenger seat. And I knew there was nobody there. I'm doing 75 down the highway, but there's nobody there. I'm like, I must be hearing things. So I turn the radio all the way down. And I keep talking. God, why me? Whatever. When? Whatever I was praying at the time. And the voice again says, it's not your time. And I look over at the seat again. I was like, all right. I'm not going crazy, so this must be God. So I was like, hey, God, is that you? And the voice says, yes. And I said, why have you never talked to me before? He said, I talk to you all the time. You just don't listen. And I'm like, oh, my God, God is in the seat next to me. And I don't say another word all the way home. Now, a smart person would have you know, asked a question or two. Not me, no. I'm like, God is here. Yeah, we're going to drive 55 because that's the speed limit. I don't be <laughs> sinning driving. I'm going to drive this car as a Christian would. And home I get. And so sometime after that, there's this redheaded woman I knew, and we started dating. And then my father calls me. Well, as we're dating, we're dating for a while. And at some point in time, we got to talking about marriage because it's getting serious between us. And uh, I said, I wouldn't want to get married until I had a house that I could, you know, raise a family in. Shortly after that conversation we had, my father gives me a call. My father lives in South Carolina. He says, Chris, I need you to come down and take care of the house and the land that I have because I don't want to sell it. I'm getting transferred with my job. And so, okay, I guess I'm moving to South Carolina. So I'll tell my girlfriend, would-be wife at the time, hey, I'm moving to South Carolina. And she goes, well, I guess I'm going with you. And I go, I guess we're getting married. And that's how I proposed. That is romantic right there. And I don't care what y'all say. But that's how I propose. Y'all can, you know, Hallmark has made cards so that I guess we're getting married, you know. So, but, so we, you know, so we get married and we move to South Carolina. And we don't have any money. We scrape up enough money to get a truck and drive, big rental truck, and we drive to South Carolina. We get there. And Budget, who we rented a truck for, says, we have no record of you bringing this truck. And we go, well... We have the truck. And they're like, yeah, but we don't have any paperwork saying you're bringing this truck. So I guess it's free. So we moved to South. So God moved us to South Carolina for free into a house already prepared for us, just like I said I would want. So God is good. And we're there for like a year in South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina. South Carolina is deep south. I don't care what anybody says. And... Uh, in Columbia, in South Carolina, they have on their state books. If anybody doesn't know, first of all, my wife is white, and she's sitting over this redhead woman. And in South Carolina, on their state books, it was against the law for interracial marriage. And you know, but federal law trumps state law, so it's not like they can enforce it. But that was the law. And South Carolina wanted to remove that law from their books, so they have to have a referendum. So God goes, "I have a mission for you." 
I'm like, what? And he sends a friend of ours who's a reporter for the CBS affiliate in Columbia, South Carolina, and he wants to do a report on us. I'm like, okay. So we have a son at this. Our first son was about eight months old, babe, somewhere around there, eight months old. Casey, our oldest son, he was about eight months old. And so our friend does a report on us, the camera there in our home, and we do this report. In the report, because our friend was also a Christian, he asked us, so what does the Bible say about interracial marriage? And we said, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about interracial marriage. The Bible says love your brethren, and so that's what we do. And so people are people, and if people are people, and all made in the God of image, that God's image, that means I love them, whether they're white, black, or anything. So that gets put into the report, and it's supposed to air locally on uh, Columbia News. Well, Charlotte is about the size of St. Louis, not that far from Columbia. They see it, they pick it up, and it airs in Charlotte. But when it aired in Charlotte, it went all the way to D.C., and when it goes all the way to D.C., there's this report of this interracial couple saying, you know, love everybody. God loves everybody just like you should love everybody. It, it starts, you know, getting all the way up the East Coast. Well, the Washington Post calls us and go, hey, we saw that report. We wanted to report on you. And we'll go, okay. <laughs> and so they said, we're going to send a photographer down and we'll do an interview over the phone. So they ask us a bunch of questions over the phone and we you know, talk about how you know, God loves everybody, and that's why you should be there. And we're thinking this is going to be a small little page 10 report in the Washington Post, the nationwide, it's actually a worldwide paper. So they send the report out, and Washington Post does it. It's page two of the Washington Post. Half the page of Washington Post is a picture of me, Angela, and Casey, and then this whole report, and which continues on page 10. And in it, it says, God loves everybody. You should too. And God said, I need you to do that. So that's part of your calling is to just witness for me. I'm like, great. Three years go by, about six years we were down in South Carolina. And uh, my wife and I are talking again about what would move us back to St. Louis. And I said something about probably something like my grandmother dying. Well, the next year, my grandmother died, and I did not kill her. I'm not guilty. <laughs> but my grandmother passed away, and so we move to St. Louis. We, move, we, come, we don't move. We come to St. Louis to the funeral, and my mom asked me at the funeral, Chris, you're going to move back to St. Louis. I said, I don't know. You know. We live in South Carolina right now. My cousins start asking me, Chris, you're going to move back to St. Louis. You can move into Grammys' house. You know, my grandmother is Grammys. And they said, you can move into Grammys' house. And I was like, well... You know, we'll see. So several people asked us, so me and my wife, we pray that night, God, if you want us to move back to St. Louis, let my aunt, my aunts, one of my aunts, actually own my grandmother's house, my grandmother's house. And let, let one of my aunts ask us, and then we'll know it's you. The next day, I didn't say a word. My Aunt Janice comes to me, Chris, you want to move back to St. Louis, you can move into Grandma's house. I go, well, I guess I'm moving back to St. Louis. <laughs> so we drive back to South Carolina, and I'm working for Lowe's at this time. Lowe's has hired me, and they're pushing me up promotion-wise, whatever, and um, that's where I'm working. And so I go back there and tell them I want to transfer to St. Louis. And they go, rats, okay, fine. Uh, here's the paperwork. You fill it out. It normally takes about two to three months before or if you get a response. I'm like, okay, so I'll fill the paperwork out, turn it in. The next week I get a phone call. This is the Kirkwood store. We need you here in two weeks. I'm like, what? <laughs> so 
they say, we'll pay you $1,500 cash for your travel. We'll buy your truck and any other supplies you need to move. And do you have a house? I was like, well, yeah, I have a house. And they're like, well, we'll move you for free to St. Louis. And we need you here in two weeks. And we'll give you a 10% raise. I'm like, bet. All right. So I go home, like, babe, start packing. We're going, we're moving to St. Louis. So God moved us to South Carolina. We did a little report that praise God that went nationwide. And then we moved back to St. Louis. Both times we moved for free. God moved me there. God moved me back for free. And so I'm working at Lowe's. And in South Carolina, we went to a church that was double the size of this church. I mean, it was a monster church. Uh, the build, this whole sanctuary could fit inside their sanctuary and still sit 500 people. I mean, it was a really big church. And so when we moved back here, we moved back here, and we were going to the church that I was going to, a really small church, and it just didn't fit because we had three kids and they didn't have any children's programs, so we started looking for another church. And we found, my wife looked in the phone book, and she found a church on the Rock Road in this church. And that Sunday morning we were going, she was like, we'll go to the church on the Rock Road. I'm like, great. We get the kids together, put them all in the car, getting ready to drive off. And she says, you know what? We should go to that church, this church that's in Ferguson. And we were like, okay. So instead of making the right, I made the left out the driveway, headed here, and drove here and walked in the building. And when I walked in the building, that voice said, you're going to work here and you're going to preach here. And I said, you, sir, are a crack smoker, God. You can't be telling me stuff like that. There's no way that I'm going to come work at a church, let alone because Lowe's just moved me here in two or three years. They're going to, they're, I'll have my own store. Why would I do such a thing? Long story short, here I am, exactly where God wanted me to be, doing what God wanted me to do, and all because I have a passion for him. And I enjoy working here. I enjoy working here more than I work, enjoy working anywhere else. And it's crazy. We've had hostage situations here. You know, I've had, you know, floods, tornadoes. It's been great. You know, and so, but, I, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world because God put me here. And because God put me here, I know that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And because I'm where I'm supposed to be, I am doing what God wants me to do. So, if I'm not here by accident, that means you're not here by accident also. God didn't bring you here because you didn't have anything better to do today. You know, God didn't bring you here to have you listen to Chris tell you stories and stuff because you, know, you felt like getting up and coming to church. No, God brought you here today because God is trying to save you. Just like he saved Jonah, just like he saved everybody else. Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish to save the people of Nineveh. Jesus was three days and three nights in the tomb so that he could save everyone. And that's why you're here. So it's not an accident why you're here. So the question is, if you're here, what has God been calling you to do? And are you being obedient to that calling? Are you being obedient to what God wants you to do? Because all you have to do is have faith. If you have faith, you can do anything. You know, faith removes the obstacles of unbelief. If you step out on faith, God does the rest. It's another quote. But anyway, so if you step out on faith, God will do the rest. Don't let God have to put a fish in your life. Step out on faith and do what you want to do and do what God wants you to do. So are you being obedient? If you're not, what's stopping you? 
if God is, let's let the deacons come down. And the deacons are going to come down, and we're going to have our altar call. And if God is calling you to come down, what's stopping you? Are you being obedient? If God is telling you to talk to your neighbor across the street, what's stopping you? Are you being obedient? If God is telling you, I need you to go to another job, but I like this job, God. It's not what you like. It's what God wants. And are you being obedient? What's stopping you is the question. Because it's not God. God's calling you. And if God is calling you, the only thing stopping you is you. Satan's not stopping you. Satan has no power to stop you. He can give you suggestions, but he can't stop you. Amen? Amen. Can I get an amen, Peter? Amen. There we go. <laughs> so, you know, let us remember, always be obedient, live mercifully, walk humbly, do others greater than you would do for yourself. That's your calling. Not necessarily walking out in the street and preaching in the street. Being obedient is your calling because God does the rest. You don't have to. It's really simple. We're going to pray here. Lord, we thank you once again for just allowing us to be here today. And we thank you, Lord, for, for saving us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for just all that you have done for us that we don't even know. In, in our complaining, you're saving us. In, in our disobedience, you still show us mercy. And in all things, Lord, you have loved us more than we can even possibly imagine. We just ask you, Lord, just to remember uh, our shortcomings. Remember that. You know, help us to remember that in all things, you are still God. And it is not our will, but thy will that is to be done. In that remembrance, Lord, we just ask you just to give us the strength to do all things you've asked us to do so that we may glorify you. All those things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.